Hey, everyone, remember to subscribe to this podcast so you get an update as soon as the next episode is ready. And if you love what you hear, consider joining Stitcher Premium today. Stitcher Premium subscribers can hear the entire series. That's all seven episodes of Dear Franklin Jones right now. Yep, they're all up there. To sign up, go to DearFranklinJones.com and use the promo code JONES for one month free. I can't pinpoint the exact moment when I decided I had to follow Franklin Jones. All I can say is that at some point it felt like I had no other choice. I remember even being afraid that my parents would break up if I didn't join, or that they'd send me away to boarding school. My family also moved around a lot, from Berkeley to Marin to San Francisco to Marin to San Francisco, then back to Marin. We moved over a dozen times during my childhood, so we didn't really have a connection to any one place. And I'm an only child. So as a kid, there were really three constants in my life. Mom, Dad, and Franklin Jones. Once I decided I had to become a follower, I began asking my parents about their spiritual practice for guidance on how to meditate with Jones. And that summer, between 8th and ninth grade, I started reading all of the spiritual books on my parents' shelves. I started to meditate, to listen to the tapes Jones made. I hoped that by embracing my parents' lifestyle, I'd get closer to them. And the truth is, it worked. Now, my dad and I were into the same things, or I was into his things. He noticed me. I was finally joining them on their quest. I love you, beloved. This is when I started writing these letters to Franklin Jones. I praise in awe and worship your all-knowing state. It's another letter to Jones. Whereby, through your divine life work, the world may cease to die mortal worldly death that only recycles consciousness and drip one by one into the infinite well, receiving and rejecting us in the thunderous orchestra of your all-pervading form. Give me your attention. At any moment, and you will receive this grace. And that's when I, I observe it, and I said, no, wait a minute. I don't care how awake he is. He's got to be polite. And somehow when I heard that, it kind of broke my heart, and you know, kind of broke the, some sadness that was in me. I could feel it, you know. It was like, wow, you mean he really wanted us back? But I'm not a me, you see. I literally am you. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. This is Dear Franklin Jones. Not long after I made the decision to really dedicate myself to Jones's group, freshman year rolled around. Now, at school, I kept to myself, mostly just read books, made a few new friends, but never mentioned Jones. It was like he'd become such an all-consuming part of my life. I didn't even know where to begin. I actually developed an anxiety about approaching other people, terrified that I would just not know what to say, like the things I was learning in Franklin Jones's group and thinking about all the time. They were too big and too strange. By this time, Jones had moved back to his compound in Lake County, 
a few hours north of San Francisco. And one day, he asks both Thomas and Kathleen to move closer to him. If we wanted to continue to be working with him and treating him, we had to move up to Lake County. We had to make a commitment to come up there. My parents and I remember things differently. My mom says that soon after this, on the way home from school, I asked her if I could drop out, that I was unhappy with my teachers. But that's not quite how I remember it. I did dislike school, but I also understood that my parents really wanted to go be with Jones. Like, have you ever watched a friend fall in love with someone? They always smile when they talk about them, laugh a little too hard at their jokes. It was sort of like that. My parents seemed euphoric whenever they came from being with Jones. And in some way, me being in school, I was holding them back. So I drop out, and we move down the road from Jones's residence. His property is on 43 acres of land near Cobb Mountain, California. Followers bought it in the mid-70s. Two hours north of San Francisco, through the winding mountains east of Calistoga, you pass towns with names like Whispering Pines. Oak trees hang over the two-lane roads. Mobile homes line dirt roads, zigzagging up the mountain. I enroll in a homeschool program run by a member of the group. It's in a trailer with a couple of teachers. Mostly, the students were delinquents or teen mothers or, like me, followers of Jones. My teacher was also a follower. I'd come in once a week and basically create my own lesson plan, and he'd sign off on it. So now we live on a farm owned by members of the group in a converted barn on 250 remote acres of walnut orchards, dry brush, and oak trees. Each week, my parents drive to the city to practice acupuncture. My mom takes me to Moe's in Berkeley, where I fill milk crates with books. I was into modernism and the classics, but I also collected books from a special curriculum Jones had created called The Basket of Tolerance. There are thousands of books on the list about human behavior and world religions, broken down into stages of spiritual maturity from one to seven, stages Jones invented. I'd sit out on the patio of our house, write furiously, smoke cigarettes, read, meditate for hours each day. Which makes it sound pretty bohemian, I know, but the thing is, it felt much more like a job. I was a disciple, and I was on a mission. Follow Jones. Nothing else really mattered. I know it, and you do not. Absolutely. And all miracles are potent in my heart. I drove myself crazy trying to figure this stuff out. If only Jones could know this truth, this divinity, was I supposed to strive to become him? And if so, how? Meanwhile, my parents were busy, growing increasingly close to Jones. They were his acupuncturists, his healers. At this point, Jones is in his 50s. His health's not great and my parents have been given special access to him. They talk with him about his aches and pains, his diet. He told me my service was, um, I'm trying to find the word. He didn't say impeccable, but he, he said there was nothing he could say that was negative about my service. It gave my parents a special status in the group, and it really helped build their business. 
people respected them because they regularly touched Jones's body. And followers wanted to be healed by the same hands that touched their guru. It was also an honor for me. I took it as an honor. My mom had become close to one of Jones's wives, a woman named Nadi Kanta. Nadi Kanta would invite my parents to her and Jones's home to do acupuncture and just to hang out. But still, Kathleen insisted. But we were not his friends. It's a difference between being drawn into his house. We weren't really his friendly friends. We were people providing a service. But we were also drawn inside. This is what she always says about it. But I saw how moved my parents were when they came to pick me up after an acupuncture session with Jones. Like one time driving home, I sat in the middle of the back seat of the car and watched tears stream down both of their faces in silence. They were just that happy. At this point, I'm reading more and more of Jones's books, like his autobiography. We meditate together as a family. Then, one night in the winter of 1998, I'm 14 years old, Jones announces he'll be sitting with his followers, a darshan. And for the first time, I'm invited. The night of the darshan, we get in the car and drive to Jones's residence. My parents pop in a tape of Jones. You tend to think, uh, according to convention, that faith is a matter of believing something. But faith is really a heart disposition of trust. We drive into the property from the parking lot at the top of the road. It's snowing. We get out. I remember so many of us moving through the shadowy dusk along a hiking trail towards the same place, the sanctuary. Dry grass is cut low along either side of the walk. We stop at an enclosed well and ladle water into our palms, kind of like at Catholic Mass, but this water is said to be blessed by Jones. We pass a cluster of dilapidated wood huts on the right. The property had been a wellness center back at the turn of the 20th century, and many of the buildings were never renovated. But in that moment, the buildings shimmer the first snow, which is falling lightly for now at least. The congregation assembles around the front gate. For hours, we chant the guru's name to the melodies of traditional Indian songs. When it grows dark, followers are invited one by one into Jones's private residence. A single file line forms around the building. The chants ring in my ears. The snow is getting heavier, slushy and dense as it hits my face. It's gotten so cold, I think I can feel the bones scrape against one another in my fingers. To distract myself, I focus on the single geranium pressed between my thumb and index finger, an offering for Jones. My throat hurts from chanting. My eyes water. I'm not scared, but my body is reacting like it is. My head starts to ache. When I finally reach the door of Jones's house, I'm nauseous. The door opens. I feel a rush of warm air, thick with sandalwood. Someone guides me through a waiting room filled with statues of Shiva, Tibetan silk paintings and plants, and into another room. The guru sits in a chair on a raised platform. Women on either side fan him. I walk into the middle of the room, bow, 
place the geranium at his feet, then look up and stare into his eyes. These eyes, they seem giant, like big magnets. The corners of his mouth turn into what appears to be a smile. And then, it's over. I get up. I'm ushered out of the room, through the kitchen, and towards the door on the other side of the house. The door opens. A rush of cold, wet air hits my face. It's the most vivid memory I have, to this day that harsh, freezing air, feeling like I've been ripped out of a warm home full of family and friends and tossed out into the darkness. After, I burst into tears and cry for hours. Honestly, it feels impossible to explain what went on in that room. Was it a crafty trick of social engineering or psychological manipulation? Or was it a signal of some divine power? I feel like on that day, in that moment in front of him, I began to truly believe in Jones and to doubt him at the same time. It was like a knot had been lodged in my chest. Love and loathing tangled together. And to be honest, it's still there. Not long after they became part of this inner circle, things happened that changed how my parents saw Jones. Now they saw members waiting on him, hand and foot. He had dozens of people dedicated to meeting his every need, a staffed kitchen for his meals, acupuncturists, physicians, assistants. And for the first time, Thomas and Kathleen witnessed how Jones treated the people who were closest to him. Yeah, he treated them like shit. He didn't treat him with respect at all. You see people coming to serve him and the way he talks to them. He talks to them like they were nothing. The only ones who got the charm were the girls, okay, because he liked fucking, okay? And and that's when I I observed it and I said, no, wait a minute. I don't care how awake he is. He's got to be polite. A friend of mine growing up was one of Jones's servants for a while and compared working for Jones to being trapped inside a burning building. He was an expert at finding sore spots. And when he couldn't find any, he was nonplussed. What am I going to do with these people? Every time I poke. But he couldn't figure us out. He couldn't, especially me. Uh, He couldn't figure me out because I wouldn't bend the way he was bending. And, and by bending, you mean like he would want you to do or be a certain way? or He wanted me to be a yes man. He wanted me to be loyal to him instead of the truth. And that's where I drew the line. I said, no, I am loyal to the truth always. At first, I only saw what my parents let me see. So it was easy to cast aside any doubts that came up. I mean... Letting go of doubt was supposed to be at the heart 
of what it meant to follow Jones. My life is squarely devoted to Jones, so I keep listening to the hundreds of hours of his recorded talks, just soaking them up. And there's one in particular. It's called The Baptism of Immortal Happiness. Give me your attention. At any moment, and you will receive this grace. In it, Jones declares that he is the truth, that his existence is a miracle, that his body has become godlike. There's nobody here, no Franklin Jones, nobody like you, you see. It's not here anymore. Totally absent. What a miracle, what a wonder. I am he, I, I am God. I am the adept in our generation. What a, an amusement that it should happen in precisely this form. <laughs> I can't account for it myself. I'd listen to this tape over and over. But I'm not a me, you see. I literally am you. I'm your psych and mind. I'm your being, your destiny, your ego. I am all selves, literally. Not metaphorically. I know this for absolute certain because I am you. I think your mind. I breathe your breath. I suck down your food. I shit out your life. I am your person. Altogether and absolutely. Now I listen to that to words like I shit out your life and I am your person. And I think, fuck, who did this guy think he was? And how could we have possibly believed him? But we did. Meanwhile, my parents are going through a lot of changes. My dad's nearing 60. Enlightenment was what mattered most to him, more than his career or being a husband or being a father. And my mom, she's increasingly concerned about the future, specifically my future. I was getting older and would soon be going to college. My parents had all but given up their life outside of the group. They didn't have many friends, neither did I. My dad's family had mostly passed, and my mom's, we hardly talked to them. It seemed like we would live with Jones forever, and that maybe all this doubt and worry that I felt, maybe it was just normal. If I practiced harder, meditated more, maybe it would go away. Privately, my parents were starting to have their own crisis of faith, by now, Thomas and Kathleen would often travel with Jones when he left Northern California, so they were surprised when, in the fall of 2000, Jones took a trip, and my parents, they weren't invited. At least at first. But then he changed, but I thought he was testing me. That Jones was trying to get a reaction out of Thomas and Kathleen, to teach them something about their attachments to being his acupuncturist. And maybe he was. I don't know. I never asked him. Jones had two main wives, and they were very important in his inner circle. No one got to him without going through them first. And at one point, when one of the wives, the one my parents were close with, went out of town, the other wife rearranged who would be in Jones's inner circle, including who would do Jones's acupuncture. So what she did was pulled in my friend, the acupuncturist, to take our job. I can't overstate how important Jones was to my family. He was our world. And suddenly, my parents were cut out, no longer his healers, no longer had a close relationship with Jones, 
or even a very clear role in the group. And just like with the scandals in the 80s or the fire that burned down our house, Jones said nothing, never explained why my parents were fired or even said goodbye. Without a word, I was locked out. He didn't say, Thomas, you did this or this and I want somebody else. No, nothing. Nobody even bothered to officially tell my parents that they'd been replaced. It happened, and they were left to figure it out, alone. I was angry that uh, after all my energy that I've given over, yeah, I was an ego. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't saying that I was an awakened person. I was an ego, but hey, all my energy I put in here, and I get back. Out? Like 17 years. Uh, Right? That was about 17 years of your life. Well, something like that. <laughs> you know, how, are we angry? Are we this? Are we that? You know? And I think I was, I was too, I think I was just too shook up to even, I, I, I wasn't angry. I was just, the whole thing was over. Kathleen says during this time, she started receiving conciliatory phone calls from other members, like she just lost a loved one or gone through a breakup. And I remember the chaos of those days. My parents fought often. My mom had crippling anxiety. And my dad would try to help her and then just explode. It was clear they were suffering. Kathleen says she wrote a letter to Jones explaining why she was leaving and how hurt she was. She never got a response. All those years in the group, 16, 17, over, just like that. And, uh, and so that was kind of it. That was kind of it. I was 15. My story was still so tied to theirs. Even though my entire life was ahead of me, without the group, I had no idea who I was or where I was supposed to be. I had committed to this, to Jones, largely to satisfy my parents, and I'd done it completely. And now, they were the ones telling me it was time to give it up? I didn't know what to believe. My parents began planning a move. My dad talked constantly about a book he wanted to write about Jones, called it The Kiss of the Vampire. They took down Jones's photos from around the house. But in my room, I kept this one picture hidden. In it, Jones is smiling, looking off out of the frame. When I was alone, I'd stare at the image and just cry. I felt like I was looking at a dead person I'd been incredibly close to, like a member of my family, but one who didn't even acknowledge my existence. It's uncomfortable to look back and see how fully I'd bought in. But I also know I was just a kid, and that this was the only world I knew at that point. What's been harder, I think, is talking to my parents about this time, and their relationship with Franklin Jones, and seeing their weaknesses as adults, facing my own instinct to judge them. For my dad, Thomas, it was all about the prize. He wanted to be an advanced follower, to be enlightened. He himself would tell you as much. 
And my mom, she went along with all of it, just completely, totally bought in. In the end, they were blindsided. Several months after they left, Jones reached out to my parents via their friend James, but it was too late. They said it didn't seem genuine. They said they'd moved on. As I've been reporting this story, I've had a bunch of conversations with James and others about this period, and they talked about how Jones really hadn't wanted my parents to go, how sincerely he'd wanted them to return. Later, I told my mom what I'd heard. She looked utterly destroyed. Somehow when I heard that, it kind of broke my heart and you know, kind of broke the, some sadness that was in me. I could feel it, you know? It was like, wow, you mean he really wanted us back? Even 17 years after she'd left the group, for Kathleen, knowing that Jones, the man she worshipped as a god, had asked after her? I kind of felt rejected, and I didn't even know that that was kind of buried in there, which, uh, which was very deep for me to feel that kind of rejection from one of the, one of the most loving experiences of love of my life. Looking back, I can see how Jones had been like a third person in their marriage, a second father to me. He was everywhere, and his absence created a huge void in each of our lives. Like a breakup. And, you know, certainly that was close on the heels, too. You mean to Thomas? Thomas, yes. Yeah. From now on, all three of us would struggle to find a path forward. Together, we thought. But that wasn't how things went. More on that next time. Dear Franklin Jones is reported and produced by me, Jonathan Hirsch, along with Ashley Cleek and Annie Aviles. Our associate producer is Nora Lind. Our senior producer is John Asante. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelet. Special editorial guidance from Peter Clowney. Thanks to the great sound engineers Casey Holford and Eric Jorgensen. Original music by Ray Lynch. Dear Franklin Jones is a production of Stitcher. Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Dear Franklin Jones. Don't forget, all seven episodes are available now, only on Stitcher Premium. To sign up, go to dearfranklinjones.com and use the promo code JONES for one month free. 
Stitcher.